0: So over the past few months, we've been working our way through the book of Proverbs, and we're pretty much at the halfway point today because today we're in uh, chapter 15 of the book of Proverbs. And uh, in this portion of Scripture, we're going to look at a topic that has come up multiple times in various ways as we've been working our way through the book, and that's the topic of communication or the words that we say or the things that we talk about and converse about. And, uh, and we'll see that here in Proverbs chapter 15. So if you would, uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs 15, starting with verse 1. And we're going to be, as we talk about communication today, as we talk about words and how they're used, we're going to be asking the question by way of application, are you communicating the heart of the gospel? Because that's the ultimate form of communication. Uh, that we have the privilege uh, to convey to one another, the heart of the gospel. So are we communicating the heart of the gospel? We're in Proverbs 15, and we'll start with verse 1, and I'm going to read down to verse 8. This is what it states. It says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge." not so the hearts of fools. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to look at your word together today. And I just thank you, Lord, for for each person joining us here live, those that are joining us on the live stream, those that are accessing the podcast. Lord, we're just so grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to to start off our week studying your Word together in whatever capacity we're able to do so. And Lord, we pray that today as we look at what this portion of Scripture teaches us about the words that we speak and how what we, what we communicate ultimately can convey the heart of the Gospel, we pray that we would be mindful of that. We pray that there would be something here that you help us to immediately apply to our day-to-day lives And that by your grace, we would just continue to live out the things that we see and have explained to us as we look at your scriptures together. So Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts now and help us to understand this portion of your word in its entirety. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So a a few nights ago, my daughter brought something up to me that concerned her. She had been watching uh, just a variety of things, and and one of the things she had come across was a video that someone had posted online related to some prominent pastors, and the person who posted it took some issue with the ways in which some of these prominent pastors were speaking. And uh, apparently, some had chosen to be rather loose with their language, and I think maybe for shock value, had actually chosen to interject some profanity into what they were saying. And so my daughter was troubled by that, and she asked me what my opinion on that subject happened to be. And I told her, I don't like when people do that for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons I don't like when people do that is because I think it creates a needless stumbling block. And so I said, that's one of the things that I I take issue with that. And I also don't think that it's a mature decision for someone who's supposed to be serving as an ambassador of Christ to speak in a way that doesn't reflect the way Christ would speak. And so that was my opinion on that. That's what I shared with her. And I'll, I'll say this even in light of what we're looking at here, because it talks a lot about the words that we communicate. One of the most powerful things about a person are the words they communicate and the ways in which they communicate those words. So you might not be somebody of great physical stature, but don't let yourself be convinced that the words that you say are powerless, because the words you communicate are very powerful things. And uh, there's a lot of influence behind your words. The things that you communicate will impact people in dramatic ways, sometimes in ways that you don't always initially realize. As followers of Christ, we're encouraged to be people who are intentional about the, the ways in which we use our words. And Scripture tells us that it's through the things that we speak that people will hear the message of the gospel that the Lord uses the things that we speak to convey the message of the gospel. So our conversations communicate the message of the gospel. The instruction that we give communicates the heart of the gospel. And the manner in which we pray can also be something that the Lord uses to convey the truth of the gospel and even remind our own hearts of the gospel that we believe. And so each of these things should be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Each of these things should be aimed to reflect the heart of Christ. So, just in an introductory way, I just want us to be wrestling with the thought, does this matter to us? Is this an issue that we also notice? Is this something that matters to us? Can Jesus be seen in what we say? You know, are we communicating the heart of the gospel when we interact with other people? Well, in the scripture that we just read together, and we'll take this a, a little bit at a time, we'll work our way through it and reread portions of it. But in Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, we're shown multiple ways that we as believers in Jesus Christ can use our words to honor Him. And one of the things that I think that we're, that, that we're given the opportunity to do is to honor Christ, first of all, in our conversations. So let me reread the first four verses there. It says this, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And I'll confess to you, by the way, that Proverbs 15.1 is one of my favorite portions of Scripture, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But again, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Now, when I was a a new Christian, I came to know the Lord at a young age, and I started to get pretty serious about my faith when I was 15, 16 years old. And when I was a new Christian, as I was growing in my faith, one of the portions of Scripture that I latched onto and read, sometimes more than others, was the book of Proverbs. I would read Proverbs with regularity. It was one of the things that I kept coming back to Um, because I was fascinated with with, with its content. I wanted to gain as much wisdom as I could gain at that age from the, the sayings that are found here in the book of Proverbs. And many of these things would stick in my head. They would just stay in my head, and I would repeat them to myself, and I would think about them and meditate on them. And that was particularly true of the opening verses of Proverbs chapter 15. Now, in this passage, We're challenged in a variety of ways. We're admonished about how we speak. We're told that if we answer others in a soft manner, we will turn away wrath instead of inviting it. So that's certainly good counsel. We're also told that knowledge comes forth from the tongue of the wise and that the eyes of the Lord are upon us as we speak and as we interact with one another. So that's certainly helpful to know as well. I actually find it extremely helpful to think about the fact that the eyes of the Lord see everything I do, that he sees everything I convey on the outside, but he also knows everything about my motives on the inside. He knows what I'm thinking and he knows what I'm doing and he knows what I'm saying. And you have Solomon stressing that fact here in the opening verses of Proverbs chapter 15. And I also think that it's interesting when I look at a portion of scripture like this, and see what it talks about in relation to the words that we're conveying. And I particularly think it's interesting when, you, when a portion of Scripture like this gets tested soon after you first learn it. Now, forgive me if I've ever told you this story before, because it's totally possible that I may have. I, I don't know. But it's one of my favorite stories from that season of my life where I was first growing as a believer in Christ. So at that time, you know, 15, 16 years old, well, when I was 16, I was a, a new driver, and uh, I remember when I was a new driver, I decided one day, and I don't even remember my reasoning for doing so, but I decided I was g- just going to drive to my grandmother's house and visit with her. It was very close with all my grandparents, loved them very much, and uh, I just decided one day I was going to go and visit my grandmother. She lived about an hour from where I lived. I lived up in Northeast Pennsylvania. She lived in Wilkesbury. Have you ever been to Wilkesbury? Are you familiar with Wilkesbury? So if you've ever been to Wilkes-Barre, some of you shook your head yes. You know, uh, you could probably picture it in your mind, and you know that like most cities, it can be hard to find a place to park when you're in a highly populated area. And when I would go and visit my grandmother, uh, the only thing that she had there in front of her house was street parking. So I always had to look for a parking spot, and sometimes there'd be one near her house, and sometimes I'd have to park a little bit of a distance away. But when when I arrived at her house that day, there was a spot that was open across the street from my grandmother's house. So I was pretty excited about that. And I took that spot, and I was happy about that. But when I I left her house, it became very apparent to me that her neighbor was not very happy about my choice of parking spots. And as I opened my car door, and as I sat down, I noticed something on my front window. And it was the top of a pizza box. And it was tucked under my windshield wiper, and it had writing on it, but I couldn't quite see what it said because it was dark at this point. And I was trying to figure out what is that, and what does it say, and I got out of the car, and I started to take that that pizza box from under the, the windshield so I could read it, but I didn't get a chance to read it before somebody comes out of the house that was right next to my car and starts screaming at me. And do you ever have somebody, maybe not in your life because you're nicer people than I am, I don't know, but do you ever have somebody scream at you in such a way that it gets to a point where you have no idea what they're saying? It all just sounds like gibberish, but it's just loud gibberish? Well, that's what it sounded to me because I, 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 I realized I have no idea what this guy is saying. He's just screaming at me and he's yelling at me. And, uh, and I'm, I'm watching this take place and the, the funny thing about it was... He had a driveway. He was one of the houses that had a driveway, so he didn't need street parking. But I learned from my grandmother later that he always got mad if people parked even remotely close to his house. He would usually snap. I learned it the hard way. So uh, as he yelled at me and as he's screaming at me, the Holy Spirit brought to mind Proverbs 15, 1. I had recently been reading it. It was something that stuck in my mind. It was something that I had underlined in my, in my Bible. And I remember as this is happening... Thinking to myself, all right, a soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Oh, you know, just thinking this as this man was speaking. So then he, well, speaking, screaming, right? So when he finally stopped screaming and took a breath, so now it's my turn to reply. I don't know what he thought I was going to say or do, but I said something very simply to him. I just simply said, I'm sorry. I'll be happy to move my car. That's it. That's all I said to him. I said it in that tone. And I think my response surprised him because immediately he stopped yelling, and then he hung his head low, and then he took the pizza box so I couldn't read what he had written on it, so I've never known what it actually said. I wonder if it came out in the same gibberish that he was yelling, you know, if he just kind of yelled his gibberish, almost like they do on cartoons, right? I don't know. In my imagination, maybe that's what it did, but... But he hung his head low, he took the pizza box, and then he just shuffled and walked back into his house. And that was that. And I sat back down in my car and I drove away. And as I was driving away from my grandmother's house, I had the biggest smirk on my face. And I'm pretty sure that I said it out loud. I'm pretty sure I said, That actually works. <laughs> I just remember being amazed at how well it worked to turn away that man's irrational wrath. I just answered him in a soft manner I'm sorry. I'll be happy to move my car. (laughs) Hung his head low, and then he walked into the house. I thought, man, I got to use that again. You know, (laughs) I got to use that again. That worked out so well. Well, I'm glad the Lord allowed me to have that experience during that season of my life, because the truth is, it actually taught me something that served me well in my adult life as well. We can choose. Here's the thing. We can choose to represent the evil one, in how we speak to one another, or we can choose to honor Christ in the way we converse, in the way we speak, in the way we talk. We can let our old fleshly nature just stir up division with us and with others, or we can respond to one another with grace and with a demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Just a few days ago, I was doing pre-marriage counseling for uh, a couple in our church that's getting married next month, and... um, One of the things that we were talking about was just the nature of communication, and that's an important thing to talk about. And have you ever noticed how many times when we're communicating with one another, whether it be with a friend or a family member or a spouse, that we try and communicate our side of a debate or our side of an argument from the old nature, and we we do so in such a biting and critical way that we're really not giving a, a great picture of the heart of Christ as we do so. And one of the things we were talking about is the importance of communicating with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that we let the Holy Spirit speak through us, that we represent Christ in how we communicate to one another. And I have to say, and I know that you can testify to this as well, from personal experience I can testify to the fact that it's always better to honor Christ in our conversations than it is to speak like the unbelieving world chooses to speak. You and I are ambassadors of Christ and we should represent Him in how we convey anything to one another. It's always better to convey the heart of Christ in our conversations than it is to adopt this world's pattern of speaking. And so you have Solomon addressing those subjects and those topics in the opening verses of this passage, but he also goes on to talk about some additional things here that I think are pretty helpful that we as believers in Jesus Christ can quickly apply to our day-to-day lives. And when you look at verses 5 and 6, I think he also encourages us to be the type of people who not only receive instruction well, but also that we glorify Christ when we give instruction. So look at what he says here related to instruction. When you look at verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs 15, he says, "...a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked." Now let's pause there. Scripture tells us that during the course of Solomon's life, so Solomon was the one that the Holy Spirit inspired to write these things down. And during King Solomon's life, people were fascinated by the teaching and by the instruction of Solomon. People wanted to hear it. People really wanted to know what he would say. They even wanted to test him from time to time. And it's clear when you look at what Solomon said and you see the things that he wrote in Scripture and the things that are recorded that he had said, it's clear that the Holy Spirit blessed him with great wisdom It's also clear that Solomon seemed to have the desire to pass that wisdom along to others. So it wasn't just the type of thing that he wanted to keep to himself. He wanted to convey the wisdom that the Lord had given to him. He wanted to convey it to others. And we're also told that in some contexts, people would travel great distances just to hear Solomon speak, just to hear Solomon teach, just to hear him convey the wisdom that the Lord had given him. I'll show you one example, and it's from 1 Kings chapter 10. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. So in 1 Kings 10, it tells us that this queen, the queen of Sheba, she's also referred to as the queen of the south, she came a great distance just so she could hear Solomon speak, just so she could hear him teach, just so she could test him with hard questions. And she was impressed at what she heard. And she was amazed that the rumors about Solomon's wisdom ended up being true. And she was just fascinated by the truth that he would convey. Now, Solomon was obviously in a great position of leadership. He was in a great position of influence. But I want us to think about this from our context as well. Because if you're ever placed in a position of leadership, whether it be Christian leadership, whether it be vocational leadership, whatever form of leadership you may find yourself in, and if you're given the opportunity to instruct others in that form of leadership, I I think something will start to happen to you, particularly if you care for people in general. If you're also tasked with the opportunity to instruct or lead, what ends up happening is you you begin to develop a burden for the people that you're trying to instruct. You care about them on a deeper level over time, particularly if Christ has a hold of your heart. And so what you end up desiring is that, that they would desperate. You, you become desperate for them to start applying the things that, that you're trying to teach to them. You want them to, to take it to heart. You want them to understand these things. You want them to apply it to their lives. I have to tell you, I feel this burden every time I preach, every time I teach, and every time I write. And one of the things that's a pattern that I've started to adopt is just taking time to pray before I do any one of those things that the Lord would speak to me. And that he would speak through me. So this morning, as I was eating my toast before coming to church on Sunday mornings, I always, I always have toast with peanut butter and jelly on it. And I have two pieces, and Andrea knows she puts it on there thick for me, so I don't get hungry while I'm speaking. And while I'm eating it, or while I'm eating it, I'm thinking of you, and I'm praying for you, and I'm praying that the Lord would speak to me, and he would speak through me as I'm eating that peanut butter and jelly toast, right? You know, it's not a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's toast, and it's two pieces. It's almost like two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, but I want to be fully stocked and ready when I, when I hit the pulpit. <laughs> Full of peanut butter, right? Strawberry jelly, if you were curious what, what flavor. I know some of you were, and I didn't want to leave that cliffhanger out there, right? <laughs> um, but I feel that burden every time I preach, every time I teach, every time I write. Even when we're singing, you know, as Josh was leading us in song just a few minutes ago. I find myself, particularly when I know he's getting to the last song, I start praying knowing that in just about a minute I'm going to be up here and I'm going to be sharing the Scriptures. And I start praying, Lord, please speak to me, please speak through me. By the power of your Holy Spirit, please open up our minds and our hearts to the truth of your Word. If you love those that you're instructing, you can't help but feel that way. You feel that kind of burden. And I bring that up because I think that Solomon loved those that he instructed. I think he loved the people of Israel. I think he loved the people that came to hear him speak. He had a desire to convey the wisdom that the Lord was giving him, and so he would convey it. Um, Those of you that have children or grandchildren, you probably understand this burden as well. You know, as a parent, you you have a, a, a desire to convey wisdom. You have a desire to convey knowledge to your children. You want to save them from costly mistakes. You want to help them with the things that they're dealing with. But you also know that there is no guarantee that they're going to listen to anything you ever say. (laughs) That's one of the hardest parts of parenting, when you know that you're telling them the right thing, but you also know that there is no guarantee that they may actually listen to it and apply it to your life. And Solomon, you could tell that he was burdened with those thoughts in his own mind. It's a thought that, you know, his parents, you just kind of wrestle with, right? You pray for your kids. You think, will they listen? Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Solomon makes it clear that he was wrestling with these things. Even when you look at verse 5 of Proverbs 15, he says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Right now, the dads are like, let me underline that, you know, in my kid's Bible, you know? Um... But you know who felt that burden more so than anyone? You know, this burden that those who are being taught would receive what they're being taught. You know who felt that burden more than anyone, more than Solomon, more than any parent, more than you or I? Christ felt that burden. Christ experienced that during the course of his earthly ministry. When he came to this earth, think about what he came to this earth to do. He came to this earth certainly to instruct. He spent a lot of time instructing small groups and large groups. He instructed. He came to this earth to rescue. He came to this earth to redeem. He came to this earth to restore lost humanity. He wanted us to value his instruction. And as we learn to value his instruction, he wants us to convey it to others. In fact, when you look at what he challenged his disciples to do, he said what? you know, Take what I've taught you and then teach it to others. Convey it preach it, proclaim it, make it known to others so that they too would know me and understand what it means to follow me. But Christ also knows what it feels like to be ignored. He knows what it's like to convey the exact thing that needs to be heard and then to be ignored. In fact, there were many people during the generation in which he did his earthly ministry who actively ignored the things that He was conveying, the things that He was teaching. Could you imagine, by the way, right now, during this time of year, we'll spend the next month celebrating the fact that Christ came to this earth. We celebrate His incarnation, even this morning, in between the services. you know, uh, Dave Steininger put the star above the slides there, you know, and he said, he said, hey, I'm going to just get an early start on this. Do you mind if I put that up, and then I'll put the other stuff up later? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. And what are we doing? All throughout the course of this month, we're celebrating the incarnation of, of Christ, the fact that Jesus came to this earth, that He took on flesh, that He walked among us, that He instructed us, that He rescued, that He redeemed lost people. And could you imagine being one of the people living during the course of Christ's earthly ministry and actually, you know, we have the opportunity to read what He wrote, we have the opportunity in prayer for Him to speak to us, but could you imagine if you audibly had the privilege to actually hear Jesus teach these things directly as He was teaching them to people for the first time? That's a unique privilege that only a small select group of people in in earth's history had the opportunity to, to experience. And what did some of them do with that? They didn't care about it. Some embraced him and some welcomed his teaching, but there were more that rejected his teaching than embraced his teaching. So could you imagine going through all Christ went through to convey the truth of the gospel and then to have people just ignore it and to not think about it? In fact, you could tell that it bothered Christ because he brought it up. And he even references 1 Kings chapter 10 when he, when he talks about it. When you look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus makes reference to that same passage of Scripture. And he says, listen, he says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, the one who created Solomon is right here in front of you teaching. And yet there are people in this generation, Jesus was saying, who are ignoring his voice, who are ignoring his counsel, who are ignoring his teaching. And he's saying, look, the queen of the South, what's she going to do? She's going to to rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. She's going to condemn this generation because she came from so far just to hear Solomon. But he's saying, one greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Jesus created Solomon. And so Jesus was was talking about this, this idea of listening to his instruction, listening to his counsel. And we have the opportunity to convey the counsel of Christ when the Lord gives us the platform to do so. The people who instruct us have a demonstrable effect on what we do in our lives. They have a lot of influence on us. There are a lot of things that I do because someone taught me to do those things, or someone taught me to value these things. If you're ever in a position to instruct others, glorify Christ in that instruction and point hearts to those, or point the hearts of those that you have the opportunity to instruct to Christ, who is ultimately the source of all wisdom. I had an interesting experience just yesterday that reminded me of this afresh, and uh, I, I, it was very pleasant. When I, I opened up my email yesterday morning, right after I woke up, and I found out that I received an email message during the evening from someone who lives in a very different time zone from me, uh, and it was actually an email from a woman in Vienna, Austria, and I thought, oh, this is interesting, and she said, uh, she said hi, John, I just wanted to send you a quick message and let you know something. Uh, She said, I was listening on Spotify to the news from the BBC. So I don't know if you've ever, if you're familiar with the the BBC, what is that? The British Broadcasting Corporation or company? I don't know what the C stands for, right? Uh, Something like that, right? She said, I was listening to the BBC, and she said, you know, it really gets me down. She said, "I'm, I'm getting tired of listening to the BBC. And she said, the next thing that Spotify recommended to me was your daily devotional podcast. So I started listening to your daily devotional podcast. And She said, I have to tell you, I listen to that now instead of the BBC because your podcast lifts me up and points me to Christ, whereas some of the news was really starting to bring me down. So she said, I just want you to know I like your podcast better than the BBC, and I thought I should let you know that it really helps me to start off my day in a way that feels edifying and encouraging. And for me, even as we're looking at what Scripture talks about, this idea of giving instruction or receiving instruction, that was, my, that was a good reminder to me that here's somebody that probably this side of heaven I'll never have the opportunity to meet. But did I use the opportunity that I was given for instruction to point a heart to Christ? And I felt good that in that moment I was convinced that that's what I had done. And I think that that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to convey the message of the gospel and how we communicate. And if you're given an opportunity to instruct, sometimes in just the way you instruct, you can convey the heart of the gospel. But certainly in the words we convey, we can convey the heart of the gospel as well. And there's one other thing that Solomon brings up in this portion of Scripture that I want to point out to us related to words in particular, and that's this, and you can see this in verses 7 and 8, where we're encouraged to worship Christ in our supplication. Now, supplication, let me even say this before I read the verses. I don't know how often you use the word supplication. I would suspect you probably don't use that word too often, but basically a supplication is a request that we make before the Lord. You know, if we're making a supplication, like when you and I are praying, there's a variety of things that we tend to do. We tend to adore the Lord. We tend to confess our sins to the Lord. We tend to thank Him for the things that He's done for us. But we also make a supplication. We make requests. And in fact, I would say that probably if we analyze our prayers throughout the course of our life, probably most of our prayers have been spent making requests of the Lord, making a supplication before him. And so we're encouraged to worship Christ in our supplication, in our prayers, in our, in our request before him. And look at what it says in verses 7 and 8 about that very thing. It says this, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart of fools. And then it says this in verse 8, it says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Are you convinced that prayer is actually something powerful and that the Lord does things in response to our prayers? How convinced are we that the Lord will actually answer our supplication as we bring it before him? You make a request of the Lord. How convinced are you that he will actually respond, that he'll actually do something? Again, Solomon here, when you look at verse 8, he taught that the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The prayer of the upright is acceptable to the Lord. So are we convinced that that's true? Is that something that you and I think is actually true? And do we worship Jesus by lifting up our prayers before him? Are you familiar with the name Josh McDowell? Anyone ever hear that name, Josh McDowell? Do you ever read the book, More Than a Carpenter? If you ever see that book, that's an excellent book to read. Those of you that are, some of you are in high schools, I look around the room here, um, and in elementary school, a few of you, um, Somewhere along the line, I hope you'll read the book more than a carpenter. It's a, it's a short book. Actually, I find the book, most places, is usually about $3 because they mass produce it. Um, and I have a copy somewhere, probably in my office or maybe it's at my home. I can't remember. But if anyone wants to borrow it off me, you could just borrow it. And if you don't give it back, that's also fine. I'll just go buy another copy. But it's written by, it's written by Josh McDowell. And Josh... Uh, has spent many, many years writing very good books, and most of the books that he writes are related to apologetics. So apologetics, that's, that's the defense of our faith. That's when we explain uh, the truth of the gospel. That's when we defend our faith and show it to be true. And so Josh McDowell has lots and lots of books on that. And, uh, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but I actually want to read to you something that I recently read about Josh McDowell. I had read it years ago, but I came across it a second time recently, Um, And it was related to prayer, and it was a moment in Josh McDowell's young life when he became convinced that the Lord really does answer prayer, sometimes in miraculous ways. I'm just going to read this to you verbatim, but it says this, "'While Josh McDowell was attending seminary in California, his father went home to be with the Lord. His mother had died years earlier, but Josh was not aware of her salvation. He became depressed, thinking that she might be lost.' Was she a Christian or not? And he said the thought obsessed him, that he was obsessed with it. He would think about it all the time. And so he started praying about it, and he said, Lord, somehow give me an answer so I can get back to normal. I just have to know. Did my my mother know you? Was she a saved person? Did she know you? And it seemed like an impossible request to him. He he wondered, how how will the Lord ever answer or address this prayer? How could I ever know something like that? But he began praying it, and it was something that, that consumed his thinking. Two days later, after he began praying that way, Josh drove out to the ocean. And it says that he walked to the end of a pier just to be alone. He wanted to pray by himself, but when he got there, he discovered that there was an old woman sitting there in a lawn chair, and she was fishing. And they started talking, and then she said to him, where's your home originally? Because she knew he wasn't from California. And he said, Michigan. Specifically, I'm from a place called Union City. And he said, nobody's ever heard of it, so I always tell people that it's a suburb of, and then she stopped him, and she said, yeah, it's a suburb of Battle Creek. And he looked at her, and he's like, oh, wow, you know, you know, of, you know of where I'm from? You know of Union City? And she said, yeah, I had a cousin from there do you know the McDowell family? <laughs> that was a response to him. Do you know the McDowell family? And he said to her, after he got over his shock, he said, I'm, I'm Josh McDowell. And she said, oh, I can't believe it. She said, I, I'm cousins with your mother. I'm cousins with your mother. And so again, after he got over being stunned, he just asked her, he said, all right, well, do you remember anything about my mother's spiritual life? Do you know anything about, like, do you remember anything about her spiritual life? And she said, why, sure. She said, your mother and I were just girls. She said, we were just teenagers when a tent revival came to the town. And she said, it was the fourth night, and we both went forward to receive Christ. And he was so shocked that he said, he just yelled out, praise God. And he said he did it in a way that was apparently... Abundantly loud, because the other fishermen that were nearby all started looking up to the pier because they were shocked at why is somebody screaming, praise God, But he was so amazed that the Lord would answer his prayer in such a unique and orchestrated way that from then on he just became truly convinced of the power of prayer, because he thought, how could that circumstance happen if not for the direct intervention of God? That's not just a coincidence. That's something where the Lord was showing me that kind of favor. He was amazed. Well, I have to tell you, just in my own personal life, lately, the Lord's been reminding me that one of the most powerful things I can do as one of His followers is pray. And I'll admit to you something that those of you that know me well, and and my children can testify to this— Um, those of you that know me well know some of of my quirks and and personality defects. And one of, I would say it's a personality quirk or a personality defect that I have is a tendency not to want to burden others. So I feel very receptive to being willing to to take things that other people need help uh, carrying, but I don't tend to want to unload whatever I'm trying to carry on other people. I, I think that that's a defect. It's something that I actually try to work through. And so, one of the things that I've been trying to do um, less since I have this habit of trying to handle my problems in my own strength and in my own wisdom is to come to a spot quickly where, I'm, where I, I say to myself, you know, stop being convinced that your own strength is sufficient to carry you through this or that your own wisdom is sufficient. Your own wisdom and your own strength are not sufficient. You need to give this over to the Lord in prayer sooner. Don't wait a long time to do it. Give it to him sooner. And when I come to the end of myself, when I finally admit that I am not truly capable of handling my burdens on my own, the Lord reminds me to come to him. And he, ele- he, he, he He brings me to a spot where I find Him relieving my stress through prayer. Uh, I find myself, you know, when I'm worried about our culture, or when I'm worried about our church, or when I'm worried about my children, I find that He's reminding me that I can come to Him in prayer, and it's the most important thing that I could do. And so I've been doing that more and more. And something else the Lord's been reminding me of lately uh, is this. Do you ever get to a spot where... You know you need to bring something before the Lord in prayer, but you just can't find the right words to articulate it. You know, you, you're trying to figure out, like, how do I say this? Or how do I even just tell him what I, what's really bothering me? And I, I, you can't fully verbalize it. And you're really wrestling with that, and you're thinking, all right, I know I need to pray about this, but I'm not even sure what to say. Well, one of the things that the Lord's been reminding me of is that you can just come to him sometimes and just say, help. And that is a sufficient prayer. You just ask the Lord for help. And he, he knows what you mean by the help. You know, he knows what you mean by the request, and he's ready to act upon our requests. And I was thinking about that in looking at this portion of Scripture this past week, because so many people, and I think probably at seasons of my own life, I've probably been convinced of the same thing, but so many people are convinced that sometimes we need to do something impressive for God to be willing to listen to us. People think they need to go to, to great lengths, or do great deeds, or make great sacrifices for God to be willing to listen to them, or respond to their requests. And Solomon even confronts that thought here in this passage of Scripture by showing us something different. He tells us that the Lord hears the prayers of the upright. The Lord hears the prayers of the upright. The Lord. So notice that in a, in a couple ways. The fact that the Lord hears prayer, and that He specifically hears the prayers of the upright. Okay, well, how does one become upright then? Like, how do, how do we become the upright that the Lord hears? You know, that's what I wonder when I look at a portion of Scripture like that. If the Lord is hearing the prayers of the upright, well, then how does one become upright? Well, Scripture makes that clear to us that we become upright through the righteousness of Christ, which is given to all who genuinely trust in Him. So if you genuinely trust in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ is given to you and you are counted among the upright. If you genuinely trust in Jesus Christ, you are made right in the eyes of God, and your prayers are heard, and the Lord acts upon the things that we bring before His throne. There's no other way to access Him. Apart from the righteousness of Christ, we can't even ultimately come before Him. And as we approach the throne of God the Father, covered in the righteousness of Christ, our prayers are heard, and our supplications are granted in accordance with His perfect will. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait. But either way, he gives the answer that's in line with his will. So let me say this as we finish up this morning Does your life and do your words communicate the heart of the gospel? You know, do the things that proceed from your mouth actually honor the one who created your lips? Jesus wants to be seen in your life. He wants to be seen in your life, he wants to be seen in my life. And what he wants to do is he wants to give others a, a glimpse of himself through our conversations, through the instruction that we give, and even through the fact that, that we come before him in prayer and even the things that we pray about. Final question for us today as we kind of tie this all together, and it's just something I want us to wrestle with, but that's this. Will you submit your life over to him? So that this transformative process can begin. Where he basically begins conveying with regularity the heart of the gospel through your lips and through your life. Will you submit your life over to him so that so that, that transformative process can truly begin? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together today. Lord, it's such a privilege to be able to do so. It's such a privilege to be able to think about these things and, and to meditate on them and to realize that you work through people like us. Lord, we know that, that apart from your intervention, we would communicate in such a way that, that we would we'd really just be conveying the mindset of this world. But Lord, we know that it's not your desire that, that we speak in a worldly or fleshly way to one another. You want us to be very intentional about how we speak. You want us to be people who convey the heart of your gospel and how we converse and how we instruct and how we pray. And so, Lord, we pray that that's exactly what we would do. Lord, if there's anyone that we influence, and, and Lord, just by virtue of knowing people, I... I we certainly influence them. So, Lord, if there's anyone that you bring to our mind and bring to our heart, we pray, Lord, that we'd be very intentional about demonstrating your heart to them. And, Lord, we're just so thankful for the transformation that you're accomplishing in our hearts and in our minds that we would learn to value the things that you value. Lord, we're just so grateful for the fact that, that we start to see things now like you see things so, Lord, we pray that, we, that you would bring this portion of Scripture to our mind, that we would think about the ways in which our words have an impact on others. We know that this is a theme that you seem to be bringing up repeatedly throughout the book of Proverbs. We're halfway through the book at this point now. And we keep seeing this subject addressed in one way or another. But, Lord, here, as you spend a lot of time talking about this, we pray that we would internalize this and that this would be something that we would start our week off with understanding that you very much want to speak through us. And again, you've given us the pattern. You've demonstrated what it looks like for us to convey the truth of the gospel. You've shown us what it looks like through your earthly ministry. You've shown us what that looks like as you trained your disciples. And as you've told us to, to ultimately do what, what you gave us the privilege to observe you doing during the course of your time here on this earth. So, Lord, thank you for that privilege. Speak through us, we pray. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.